0: Hey, 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 welcome to the show. It's great to see you all. Let me push my little buttons here. There we go. Got My button's pushed. Welcome, welcome. We've got a great show for you tonight. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, and I think you're going to like tonight's show. I have a little history of my own that's kind of having to do with the show. Um, My family owned a house near Mount Shasta, and we were about probably 25 miles away from Mount Shasta. And uh, Mount Shasta reportedly has an alien base inside of it. And uh, that has a little bit to do with what we're talking about tonight with Mr. Ryan Musgrave Evans, in that um, uh, crypto-terrestrial beings exist on the Earth, and he hit, and he has had contact with them. So it's going to be interesting to talk about that tonight. But like I said, Mount Shasta um, is re- reportedly... Very wild with, with UAP and UFO sightings, and I remember I used to sit on my back porch and at night just to see if I could see any lights around my at night, but I, I never did, but uh, I was hopeful, really hopeful. Anyway, my name is Charlotte, and I will be your host for the next hour. I also own and operate the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, www.californiahunts.org out of Sacramento, California we have uh, people up and down the state of california washington oregon and nevada and hawaii and uh, again i want to thank you all for being here if you want to see if you want to see a copy of this radio show you can pop over to www.californiahauntsradio.com, and that has all the archives including the archive for tonight anyway without further ado let's get into our show because it's. It's going to be a good one. Okay, let me see, see how Ryan's doing. He's coming to us from Australia, by the way. So here we go.
1: Hello, Ryan. Hey, good day. You can hear me properly. Yes, sir. Nice. How you been? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for ha- having me. Thanks. It's for the summer. Over, it's
0: summer where you're
1: at, huh? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's on the way to be. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it's starting to warm up now.
0: See, we're in winter
1: right on. now. Uh we're in spring, yeah. 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 That's yeah. cool though. Um, yeah, it's it's uh it's it's starting to warm up. It's 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 getting I don't know what it is. We we do we do uh Celsius here, and I can't really think in Fahrenheit. I know you guys use Fahrenheit, but right today it's probably about twenty-three degrees Celsius, which is just sort of warmish. Um, but uh you've got the, the short sleeves on. So uh uh, yeah, it's pretty warm here. So how's it going there weather-wise, anyway?
0: It's going good. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Okay, cool. So, you know, we desperately need the rain, you know. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. All right, well, tell us about yourself, sir.
1: Um. Yeah, well, I'm 42 years old, Australian. I live in the state of Victoria, which is um in the extreme southeast of Australia. Um, uh, And I've lived in Victoria all my life. Um, I've been um, an elementary school teacher for a fair few years there at one stage, a a substitute. And um, for years as well, I was a a nursery worker, like a a tree farmer on wholesale Mm -hmm. wholesale tree nurseries. Um, And I've also had a lot of weird paranormal experiences over my life, which is uh, uh, what we're, we're talking about tonight, really. But um, the, may, really, the, the paranormal stuff sped up for me in the last few years, when I moved back down to the Mornington Peninsula, which is where I came hmm. from. Um, and that's when it really started arcing up.
0: Interesting. Did you find that it increased after you had your contact with, with, with these beings?
1: Uh, yes. Well, um, well, it's been the same race of beings from uh, from what I can tell. Um, it worked out later on in more recent years that a lot of experiences I'd been having earlier in my life that I'd been a- attributing to fairies, elves, or tree spirits or earth energy mm-hmm. spirits of some kind. I'd been interpreting it along those lines when I was a kid and then teen- as a teenager and also into my 20s, which sent me down a path of researching the Celtic fairy faith and Druidry and neo-pagan earth religions and things like that. Um, but more, in more recent times, um, I've been having experiences that are more really interpretable as being more clearly sort of UFO ET category-like experiences. Mm-hmm. And But the link is there. It's, this, it's been the same underlying race responsible for this all my life but it's only now that that kind of aspect has shown itself more in the last eight or so years. Um, and crypto terrestrial itself, uh, that's a term that I got from the late great Mac Tonys, who were just um, a ufologist, futurist. He passed away quite young, mm-hmm. in, only in his thirties in the year 2009. But he had a book published posthumously called The Crypto Terrestrials, um, a meditation on indigenous humanoids and the aliens among us. And in that, he he floated this hypothesis that maybe the beings behind uh, the UFO ET kind of uh, phenomena that we have today, close encounter phenomena, are actually indigenous to this planet rather than being extraterrestrial. So he called, he said, that hypothetical race, he called it crypto terrestrials, meaning hidden earthlings. He also suggested, um, that these were probably the same beings as well that we've been interacting with for centuries or even millennia and calling fairies, elves, earth spirits, djinn, uh, depending on the cultural interpretation in different parts of the world. But that these non-human beings have been here for a very long time and are probably related to us due to the um their apparent interest in our genetics, which is the, an ongoing, you know, theme right. in abduction law that they seem to be wanting to either produce hybrids between us and them or um so uh so that's where i got that name from because i think that's probably the most appropriate term the one that mac tony's came up with crypto terrestrial or ct for brevity instead of mt mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so so I, uh, jacques belay and mac tony's very much have been big influences in the way i see these beings now when when you think
0: back to seeing the fairies and stuff, did you find that that you were sensitive as a child? You know, you know, had, had psychic abilities, or, or did you just one day go out in the yard and
1: there they were? Uh, yeah, I've always had something that's maybe precognitive, slightly. Um, mm-hmm. I've always had um, uh, feelings like I'm a I'm remembering the future, where mm-hmm. I already feel like this is familiar, and I've almost like a deja vu type of thing, I suppose, where mm-hmm. uh, I can read that something's about to happen because it's almost like I already remember it, that it already has happened and then it does. That kind of thing, I've had a little bit of that over my whole life. But with the with the fairy stuff or the elf stuff, and when I say fairies or elves, I'm sort of, I sort of use those words a bit interchangeably, but not really meaning like little ladies with wings or Santa's helpers at the North Pole and things like right. that, but more, more along the lines of the old celtic and uh teutonic fairy faiths that had these ideas that there were subterranean dwelling humanoid beings on the fringes of our world and that they are societal beings themselves that have their own occupations and 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 uh, just as we do where they have you know teachers and soldiers Mm -hmm. and um medics and all that kind of stuff um using the words more along those lines so for instance um I did. I've done a lot of research over the years. I did a lot of research into the Celtic fairy faith in particular and read books like um, *The Fairy Faith in Celtic Countries by mm-hmm. uh, W.Y. Evans Vents um, and Robert Kirk, the, the, the was writing in the 1600s, a Scottish minister that wrote uh, The Secret Commonwealth of Elves, Fawns, and Fairies. Um, some of the races described in those books and by those people now I comprehend as being the same as what might be called tall whites nowadays in mm. ufo law um so for instance nahuishlin or the gentry a certain mm-hmm. car, a certain race of fairy from scotland and ireland was said to be tall fair subterranean dwelling would whistle and chirp could speak to you directly in your mind could look like will-o'-wisp kind of uh glowing orbs um could or could still seem like a humanoid but suddenly glow and levitate, um, Would was responsible for a lot of like poltergeist-type ph- phenomena, could become invisible. All of those characteristics and attributes, Charles Hall applied to a group of beings he called tall whites, where he alleged that uh, when he was posted at Nallis Air Force Base in Nevada, uh-huh. things called Creech Creech Air Force Base these days, but Nallis there where Area 51 is supposed to be and all that, um, he claimed in the 60s that he was a weather observer there, um, and he'd venture out into the desert in Indian Springs with his theodolite so that he could release balloons and, and call back in the weather direction and speed and all that. He was there for mm-hmm. two years. And while there, he had prolonged and regular interaction with a group of beings. He decided to call tall whites who were mm-hmm. tall, fair, subterranean dwelling, whistle and chirp, speak to you directly in your mind, go through your things like poltergeists, all, all of the same characteristics. Um, and so, um, all of this stuff is really been piecing it together just over the past 10 years more than any other time. But so, when I was younger, I would see beings, I would wake up in the middle of the night and not be able to wake the rest of my family. Feel like I should go outside where I'd see tall, glowing white things levitating and leaping into the air and floating back down again, things like this. Hmm. Also, some dark beings with claws and glowing red eyes. Smaller beings galloping around on all fours, like an antelope that were, that were mm-hmm. humanoid. Um, and these are the guys that have, I've been having more interaction with of, of late. Um, mm-hmm. And they are the same. They're definitely the same race that Charles Hall interacted with. So when I came across Charles Hall's books, the Millennial Hospitality series of books. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, these are the same dudes. These are my dudes. Even even down to the 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 kind of mental manipulation and mental states that they'd enforce on Charles Hall when they are mesmerizing and also memory altering, memory and things like that. Um, when you describe them, it's not how we think of alien, you know, of alien beings at all. Yeah, well, I suppose that the, the, the popular image, the most popular image today is, I suppose, of the grey, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the three to four foot tall guy with the big head and the big black eyes. Um, uh, yeah, those, those beings, from what I understand, or that idea, that popular understanding is based on one or two races that do exist but they're not the the race that I have a lot of contact with um but um from my understanding there are there are only four there were only ever four so I know in ufology lots of people disagree with me that are interested in the UFO scene mm-hmm. um say there's hundreds or there's dozens or whatever four um uh the the, the ones that call themselves Majina which are the tall whites um, another group that call themselves Svetina, which are small, dark brown beings mm-hmm. with black eyes, three ridges on the top of their head and claws. The, another race that um, people usually call greys that look similar to the Svetina, but a more grey colour. Mm-hmm. And then another race again that is sometimes called greys, but they're a paler grey and they're more heavily built relatively. And they're a bit taller. They're more like five foot tall. So there's the four. And what happens is um, the Mudjina wear what I call a Boas suit a lot of the time. A lot of time, if people have interaction with a tall white, they won't look like a tall white really because, mm-hmm. well, they'll either be cloaking and completely invisible. But if they are visible, they have what I call a Boas suit named after Antonio Villas Boas, who was an abductee mm-hmm. in Brazil, who um, saw them wearing these suits dark gray or black when they're not cloaking with goggles that glow red at night, with a large nose piece that hangs down on the front of their face Hmm. and a breathing device um, and prosthetic claws on their fingers. Um, And uh, with these suits, they can be intangible, so they can pass through solid objects, they can levitate, they can cloak. They have telepath technology in their helmets. Um, And these, I think, are what often people might called tall black aliens or Uh call sometimes sometimes when people are seeing those they say they're reptilians but they're just another presentation of the tall whites um so uh, in in my opinion the tall whites are responsible for a lot of these sort of false understandings about multiple races out there another one in my opinion is mantis beings so i've had a lot of interaction with these beings in more sort of social interactions where they're visited or have been taken away, um, or also more sort of like old fashioned, typical medical procedure type interactions, in which case a lot of them then wear dark black lenses on their eyes, like they're some kind of smart lens or medical lens. Um, mm-hmm. I'm presuming uh, a cap over their head and hair, um, a, a thing over their face and mouth so that you can only see the top part of their face. Um, they have very long hands thin hands they'll wear gloves these are their Mm -hmm. medics um four long fingers with a very small vestigial thumb further up their hand the four Mm -hmm. fingers can spread out apart each other and opposable so that that, that's how they sort of they hardly ever use their thumb their thumb sort of vestigial they are and the taller beings can get to seven eight nine or even ten foot tall the really old ones and and when they get that tall it seems to impact upon their stature their spine, they get really, they're really hunched looking, with their shoulders projecting forward, with their neck coming almost straight out of their chest at a weird angle when they get quite old. Ooh. And those ones are quite often their medics and look like a mantis. They look like a praying mantis or something like that. And um so when I've seen that, I've thought that kind of looks when they're like dressed like that, they look kind of like an insect. So then I went online and I was like Ooh. praying mantis, but mantis beings, mantoids. And a lot of drawings were coming up of beings that basically look a lot like what I've seen, but people are saying they're a separate race, whereas it's just another occupation or another manner of dress. So um, there's a lot of confusion, I think, in ufology about that, where these four real races have given rise to belief in hundreds of different races, Mm -hmm. depending on how they present themselves at the time.
0: What comes to mind is the um, caves they found uh, allegedly found above the Grand Canyon Where they found the 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 bones from 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 the tall people
1: Okay, I'm not familiar with that.
0: Yeah, and Um, the story goes that Somebody reported to the Smithsonian Smithsonian went in and these bones disappeared. They don't know what happened to them.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah Yeah, You know, so
0: as you talk about this, that's Mm -hmm. a good possibility
1: yeah yeah well some ideas about giants and 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 bones that have been found that are far too tall for us Mm -hmm. um and then you you hear a lot of rumors about that kind of thing uh uh, conspiracy ideas about the smithsonian institute being one of the culprits covering Mm -hmm. up a lot of stuff when it comes to remains that don't quite uh go along with the, the the typical um story narrative that they'd like you to believe but um yeah i think these guys for so long they've been responsible for birthing um sort of like characters from mythology and religion and folklore for centuries and centuries and centuries and and you know not just elves and fairies but a lot of people's understandings about uh angels and demons i think stem from this as well especially the sort of more pop culture idea of what people think of an angel they think of like a, a fair being that's levitating and, and glowing with white hair maybe and and beautiful big blue eyes and then I think of a demon and I'll think of a growling snarling dark clawed red-eyed mm-hmm. creature both of these are the same race dressed in different ways they they bark and they growl that's part of their camouflage languages they have their own language which I've heard multiple times their own language you can listen to if you listen to the Sierra sounds I get into a bit of I get into a bit of trouble talking to people about this as well because that is universally interpreted as being, if it's real, right, Sasquatch. Right, right, but right. But that is definitely uh, tall whites using their, their own native language sounds like a cross between like Japanese and Korean or something right. like that. Right, right, right. And but they also mix in uh, like camouflage codes, artificial codes that are based on mimicking wildlife. Um, and they'll be they'll bark and they'll growl and yelp um uh, they'll um scream and make uh bird-like noises um mm-hmm. and uh fox-like noises and sort of like you know like foxes sometimes when they sort of almost sound like they're laughing and sort of like chattering sounds mm-hmm. i believe like coyotes like, uh, like sounds and things like that as well and anyone who's read charles hall's millennial hospitality books will be very familiar with the way he described some of the sounds of their languages, he considered those sounds to be their natural language, but that, that's more like a camouflage system. Their, their actual natural language sounds much more like our natural languages, and in particular, mm-hmm. sounds like I said, like like a, a an East Asian language of some yes. kind. But we, but it, it it isn't, of course. That's a that's a um, uh, a coincidence, but it, it hits our ears like that. Um probably if a Japanese or a Korean person heard it they wouldn't think it sounded like Japanese or Korean at all but mm-hmm. to people but to westerners like us we hear it and go oh, it's like that but um I actually uh I'm sort of sorry I'm sort of wandering off here a little bit but uh, okay. um uh the guy um um, um uh, can you remember the the uh, L Berry and Ron moorhead sorry there yeah Ron Moorehead yeah. Berry and Ron yeah. moorhead um recorded the sounds in the early 70s mm-hmm. in the Sierra Nevada mountains. I contacted Ron Moorhead and said to him, hey, dude, um, I reckon these are these are real, but they're not Sasquatch Bigfoot, That it's tall whites. So have you ever heard of Charles Hall's books, blah, blah, blah? And he sent me a message back saying, well, I might be right. He doesn't know what made the sounds. All he knows is that they definitely had very big feet, which is why he sort of calls it Bigfoot, because they mm-hmm. found... They couldn't see them. They could only hear them, even when they were close enough that they should have been able to see them, which suggests this cloaking, um, making all these sounds uh, and then also trashing, what making sounds that sounded like poltergeist sounds, trashing their camp, but mm-hmm. then they get up in the morning and nothing will have been touched, which is sort of typic, more typical, uh, like tall white behaviour as well. They do that kind of stuff, poltergeist stuff, um, but then not necessarily produce any lasting impact and damage. Mm-hmm. Um he also heard humming coming from in the mountain and also, I think, from the tops of the trees and things. That's another typical suggestion that there's a an underground habitation of theirs nearby, a repeated thing through different cases. Mm-hmm. And then also he saw evidence of high technology, like orbs, glowing lights, and like something yep. that he said looked like the blade of a lightsaber going across the surface of the earth, a uh, craft. Um, and he and so he said to me, Yeah, look, he doesn't know what did it. He's never claimed that he knew what was making the sounds, right? Other than to say that they left very big tracks. Well, you see, tall whites, especially the older ones, have huge feet. Um, and uh, the size of their tracks was commented on in the Skinwalker Ranch case as well, because these are the same guys behind Skinwalker Ranch, they have a habitation there, um, under the ground. Um, the Gorman family that's a pseudonym, but i um, but anyway, the the ranchers that were there at mm-hmm. the Skinwalker at Skinwalker Ranch, when they said they saw the RV, that they described them as like a recreational vehicle, an RV type craft, or maybe mm-hmm. nowadays people would be more inclined to say a Tic Tac, because of all the stuff in the media. But they'd see them floating over their property, landing, taking off, and the the woman, the wife, saw um a giant a giant come out of one, a huge man dressed in black. And then in the morning when they went there, they found the footprints and it's just massive footprints. I can't remember how <laughs> big they said they were, but very, very. So uh, they leave huge footprints um, and this is their their language. Um, and they're, and one of the ways they can, you know, it's the subterfuge, like they're, they're incredibly smart. They have had centuries and millennia to work out ways to manipulate our minds through robust technologies. They... Can run circles around us. Usually, mm-hmm. if we know they're there, it's because they've led us. They don't normally make mistakes, you know. Um, although I think they do occasionally. But um, but yes, there it is here. Yeah. In your encounters with them, have have they been peaceful with you, or or, or have you been roughed up? Or they've been peace uh, peaceful with me. Although some of them, are, some of them are very frightening, especially early on when I was a kid. And also, you know, just about eight years ago, when they started happening again, mm-hmm. um, was more frightened and then sort of had gotten used to it. Um, but they can rough people up. They can be, um, it depends on uh, the kind of person you are and whether or not they decide that you're worth interacting with and also what your motivations are, if you're a threat to them in some way. Um, it's my understanding that some of the missing 411 cases are attributable to them. Especially in the cases of hunters, mm-hmm. because if they perceive someone to be of aggressive and malicious intent, to have a deadly weapon, to be in an area where they are uh, present, and they're not necessarily always present in different areas, they have habitations all over the earth. But have them, and they travel the. They they chase the warmth. They'll travel around the world and sort of chase the summer, for the mm-hmm. mo- even though sometimes there'll be like skeleton crews in places that don't have many. That are a bit colder, um, but um, if they are in a place and their children are playing, and there's hunters around in a state or national park, and there's weapons being used, they have killed people. Hmm. Um, especially if they, especially if it's um, if it's a spur of the moment kind of thing where they bush that they, they break through cover, maybe there's a hunter mm-hmm. that thinks it's an animal, goes to shoot, and that's the end of them. They're dead. You know, these kinds yeah. of things can and do happen. They have a, a strong understanding as well of um, kind of like a, um, death for a death, you know, eye for an eye, life for a life, and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So if one of them is injured or killed, they don't mess about. Um, but uh, but it, but on the other side, they they have a a priestly class, and some members of their group are highly spiritual and what we would call to be incredibly compassionate. Individuals, so they run the whole gamut of different kinds of personalities, sure. just as we do. And their military is particularly ruthless, or can be. They have a highly stratified military, highly organized, uh, traditional warrior class, and, um, and and you know, as you can imagine, just in our militaries, you know, the soldiers themselves, perhaps, but even more the people running the show, are uh, not necessarily the most compassionate, understanding individuals that represent Homo sapiens. You know. Um. So yeah, they they can be lethal. They can be dangerous if if they perceive you as a threat, for sure.
0: Well, they must have been around for centuries because I mean, when when you look back, even in the even in the Bible, there's reports of giants and stuff. I mean, you know, even the Greek mythology, you know, with with all the gods, you know, be, be, being gigantic. So these this this population must 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 go way way back.
1: I think so. Yeah, they yeah, oh, very 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 long time for millennia i think, mm-hmm. I think they're, they're responsible for um if not all most of our spiritual belief systems and um uh, superstitions and understandings about the nature of sort of non-human entities in the world like gods and spirits and even just down to ghosts you know what we'd normally think of as being you know the spirits of deceased individuals, right. um, a lot of that kind of stuff. I'm not saying all of it. I mean, maybe there are ghosts that are that are deceased people that are going around shaking windows and playing tricks on people or, or constantly reliving an element of their life over and over again or their own death or whatever. But I think most of the kinds of phenomena that are normally attributed to that kind of thing are them. Um, even uh, even uh, Kirk back in the 1600s when he was writing his book about them, uh, he made that observation then. He said that uh, poltergeist activity and people playing tricks on you, invisible beings playing tricks mm-hmm. on you um, in domestic places is the elves or what he called subterranean inhabitants, not ghosts or demons or, or this, that and the other. And I, and I agree today it's still the case. You hear and that's like if someone says to me that they've seen a ufo i think that's you know that's cool if someone says to me they've spoken to an et i go okay that's pretty cool uh maybe true might not be true Mm -hmm. but if someone says to me that their house is haunted that they wake up in the middle of the night and there's disembodied voices there's music playing there's people laughing there's a dark shape moving around Mm -hmm. um there's poltergeist activity happening i think ah you're an et experiencer that that's that's normal that's more the way that et or ct experiences manifest people thinking that they're being haunted mm-hmm. um, even if you don't see ufos or anything like that and you've got that kind of stuff happening you very well might um i well, have some involvement with you, you
0: know? well i said this before um on other shows and that um after reading um the people that got abducted, uh, the the couple that got uh, abducted in the Mojave. Oh, uh, yeah. And the report, the after effects of what happened, it made me question as a ghost hunter. It made me question what what exactly we're we making contact with, because the way they describe it is these beings are are, are just cut, floating through the walls, just, just just like you know, just like a typical ghost would. You know, and the different things like that. So it really made me wonder about, you know, are we, are the EVPs we getting actually the deceased, or are these, the, these, these, you know, this, this, this other race like, like you're talking about? Because when you think about some of those, sometimes those EVPs can sound mechanical. You know, they're yeah. really like way off, like, like, like another dimension or whatever. So it really, like, like, like you're saying, it really makes you wonder as, you know, as far as the whole, whole ghost thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's my belief that most of that is mm-hmm. um, uh, And, you know, if they've decided, you know, like recently, you know, uh, George Knapp and Colum Callagher wrote a new book recently, um, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, mm-hmm. uh, which, I, which I read just the other week. They're talking about, you know, they're talking a lot about the hitchhiker effect where people that have been to Skinwalker Ranch, say, or have taken an interest even in it, um and researching about it will can and do have things following them home and they'll start to have the kinds of things we're talking about poltergeist mm-hmm. activity disembodied voices things talking to them through the radio mm-hmm. um but this kind of stuff and sometimes it can be fairly benign um and may even seem accidental you know like someone will wake up and see a shape you know whoop-de-doo that there's nothing much there but or sometimes it can it can be sort of like a focused and more malicious, aggressive, intimidatory kind of um, behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is simply them investigating people that are investigating them. You know, so it's a if if you if you go to somewhere where they've had a habitation, you're interested in them. They'll take an interest in you. They'll go back to your life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, Colum Callaher talks about that being perhaps you can understand this kind of thing as like a contagion as well. You know, it can be modeled in, like it's a contagious agent. Not that it's literally Mm -hmm. a a virus, but you can model it and understand it in those terms. And that someone goes to Skinwalker Ranch, they take something home with them, their friends and family who have no direct connection to Skinwalker Ranch will suddenly be seeing weird stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You could look at it, it's a similar kind of process to perhaps like one of our um, intelligence agencies deciding that there's a person of interest that they think might be a threat mm-hmm. and looking at their social media and investigating mm-hmm. and gleaning as much as they can from them and then expanding the search to their friends and family and then to theirs and so on. And it ends up this major surveillance thing. Well, I think that's an echo of that kind of thing. Um, and, and and how intimidating and frightening it is and how mm-hmm. much of a, of, of a malignant force it is depends on the motivation of the people originally you know, because a lot of those people that are getting, fi- like Bob Bigelow and whatnot, is getting financed mm-hmm. by the Department of Defence. And, um, you know, it's not just defence, it's offence. You know, like mm-hmm. it, here there's this, in the back of their mind, there's this idea that they're discerning what kind of threat that the paranormal activity or the ETs might pose to them. Mm-hmm. But also, is there some kind of way that they can weaponize any of their own discoveries they make and this kind of stuff? So there's this it's a questionable um, uh, motivation in the first place for some of this investigation at Skinwalker Ranch. And I think the of themselves, the tall whites themselves, understand understand this very well. And some, and some of the attention is just not welcome
0: really? um, for those
1: reasons. But there are other investigatory groups um, that aren't posing threats to the tall whites or, or planning on using what they discover to their advantage in mm-hmm. some kind of uh, offensive or, defensive way and they get along famously with the Mudgin or seem to be. Like um uh like um um Trey Hudson who's written a book called the Meadow Project, uh Skinwalker Ranch in the South or something like that. He hasn't specified where it is because he doesn't want people trampling over the place and stuff. Right. But um but he's he and his group have been having interactions with these same beings as well near an underground habitation, I presume, the way they behave towards them. Um, And it does get a little bit scary, you know, uh, apparently, but it's not malignant in that same kind of way. And that's because Trey Hudson and his group don't have the kind of motivations that maybe, Mm -hmm. um, you know, NIDS might have or some other group, but um, anyway. Um, With your encounters, um, did did, did the encounters
0: with them start out slow and then as they got to know you and realized that, that, that they were meeting with you, did the encounters increase?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, I think, well, so it was sort of peppered over my life, sort of different encounters with mm-hmm. them, but nothing too major. Um, and then, you know, about eight or so years ago, I had this major event where um, I woke up and I was out on our porch, like out on our veranda. Wow. Um, And I was like, whoa, I'm not supposed to be here. It's like all of a sudden I came to. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking. um, And I'd also been like I had this vague understanding there at one stage that I was like lining up drinking glasses and sorting coins, which was strange on the table. And then I Mm -hmm. thought I'm going back inside. And as I went to go back inside, I started levitating. And I went up around the roof of the veranda. And then boom, I was in a bed and there was a woman sitting on the bed beside me with huge blue eyes and it felt like she was projecting like comfort. Mm -hmm. There was this tall male that I felt to be a male dressed in the medic kind of gear. Opened my mouth, felt around on all my teeth like they were checking and counting my teeth off. Um, Then he wandered around behind my head and lifted my head and performed this incredibly painful procedure on the back, on the base of my skull where the vertebrate goes into the skull. I've never felt anything that painful in my life. Uh, but all the while I felt like I was calm, mm-hmm. even, though the, even though the pain wasn't masked. It was still there. Um, and then there was a scan over the top of me and then like lots of different images flashing across my eyes so that I couldn't really see out of my eyes, but there was all these images. Um, and then they returned me, boom, back in, into bed. And I got up, uh, went to the bathroom, felt like there was still a presence in the house. That major contact event, um was the beginning of a lot of stuff that's been happening to me since then so that was about uh that was about 2013 I think it was or 2014 maybe because we had these baby gates up and so I think my son at the time would have been about two so I can sort of work it out like that but I don't keep journals so unfortunately it it doesn't do much for my credibility sometimes but I (laughs) I can't quite remember sometimes when things came first with some of these experiences but right um but um after that, yeah, then they, then they really escalated uh, where I invited them to come into my house and not as well and not be, um, not just like I thanked them for allowing me to remember things mm-hmm. um, because they said to me as well, we apologize for the mesmerization. We apologize for the memory alteration. So they're terms now that I use when I'm talking about this kind of stuff because that's, they're the words and terms they use mm-hmm. themselves to me in English when they're describing what they're doing. Um but I asked them instead of just allowing me to remember medical procedures, now could they come and have a beer with me or a coffee or a tea <laughs> and come and visit? So I suppose you'd call that a CE5 for closing right. care of a fifth kind because it's human initiated or whatever. Um, and then it was soon after that, I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, I was in my kitchen talking to my wife, who I thought was my wife at the time, and... Uh, but uh, standing there, lights on at night in the kitchen, and she was leaning against like the kitchen bench, kitchen counter. Mm -hmm. I was on the other side of the kitchen table. We were both standing. We were talking about something, and I can't remember the topic. We were talking and engaged in conversation and getting along quite well, Mm -hmm. and it could have gone for anywhere between 10 minutes or an hour. I'm not sure, the the passage of time. Um, And then I started to feel a bit weird in my head And I dropped down onto my knees and crawled out of the kitchen and grabbed socks out of this laundry basket and started rolling them up and putting them in lines. Like it's like an obsessive compulsive kind of thing, like I've been doing the other time with the glasses. Then I started levitating, was put back in bed over the top of my wife, who was still asleep and had been the whole time, dropped onto the bed, didn't even have time to lie down, dropped back onto the bed, was completely awake again and heard a female voice right in the centre of my mind say, we just had a date. And then I felt adrenaline just shoot through me as I started to panic. And then she said, I roll my eyes at you. And then I heard footsteps through the house, the front door open and close, and then footsteps up the driveway. And then no presence anymore. She was gone. And I took that the, the second sentence to be sort of like a mild rebuke, like saying to me, like, you should know better than to be that frightened by now. Because wow. I had a fearful reaction, she said, "I roll my eyes at you." But, um, but it was a direct response, I think, to my invitation, and she uh-huh. she she jokingly called it a date, you know, because I'd I'd invited her into the house. But and when I thought back, so it's kind of like a screen memory. But I I, I could penetrate through it. So at the time, I thought mm-hmm. it was my wife, but when I thought back, I was like, this was a woman, at least six foot tall, incredibly thin. With a black suit on, with a black, with a darker black, uh, like circular kind of technology on her chest, uh, white, short white hair, huge blue eyes, with her arms crossed, leaning against the kitchen sink. Um, and after that event, then I had more uh, uh, interactions that were similar uh, with people actually coming to my house. A guy that calls himself Joe or Joseph that has really tight, white, fuzzy hair sticking out the back of his head a bit. Uh, he's probably about five foot six or something like that. He said he's 80 years old. Um, he's a soldier of some kind. Uh, a, another one that calls herself Brano. Um, she claims to be the same individual that Charles Hall called the teacher. Um, I believe her. I don't know why she'd bother lying to me about that. Um, another individual called Butterfly who's only about five foot tall. She wears wigs when she comes hmm. um, and makeup and things like that. And, and long gloves. Um, like she's trying to dress more like we do or cover up her, the, the, the strange elements of her. Um, another a female guard called Sibylline. Um, and so there's certain particular individuals that come and visit me or take me away. Um, but uh yeah, so it, but it's become much more personable. It was much, it was, it was um, it was more sort of business oriented and sort of medical medical procedures and things like that, uh, until I gave that invitation to them. That's incredible. What does your wife say about all this? Uh, well, she was the first person I ever told about it, and that was years ago now. But um, it had already been like I didn't. After that major event of of me going up around the the roof of the veranda, oh, and I'll mm-hmm. add another thing to that as well. The next day, right where I'd gone up over the roof, um, is our television antenna is up there, and it was all twisted around, right where I would have gone over. And at the at the time, I thought, oh, maybe I'd struck it as I went past it. Right. But but in, but investigating it since, I've found that that's something that can happen when these craft anti-gravity craft are parked over a house they can the forces used can sort of like twist and rip up antennas and things like that so i think that's what happened there but um uh yeah after that event it was probably it could have been a couple of years i was having mm-hmm. these experiences and stuff could have been a couple of years before i even told my wife um and and she was just sort of like uh you know that i'm probably nuts you know she's sort of like oh whatever you know she's bought a broken one <laughs> Uh, But um, after a few years, she sort of is more interested in it, especially seeing, gathering the information for the book and writing the book, she can see that a lot of this can't possibly be a coincidence with a lot of stuff I go into. uh, Demonstrating, like uh, pictures I've drawn, things have been found later on that match them and things like this. Um, But uh, like, for instance, the the Boa suit helmets that they wear with the nose piece and this section that goes up over their forehead and things. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey Hudson and his research group at the Meadow found like a totem, a stone, a rock wedged between the trunks of two trees, that is a totem that's a carving of one of them, with the the, the same nose, the shape to the nose that flares mm-hmm. out and all this, um, you know, and I did drawings of these things years ago, the things that mm-hmm. I've been seeing. So. So my wife sort of sees these things now and goes, "Hold on a sec, maybe he's telling the truth." <laughs> she she's had her own experiences as well, um, but um, much less intense. Uh, but um, and my and my children have as well, my, like my son's seen. But I don't really talk to them about it because um, mm-hmm. I don't want them to be frightened, and also, uh, you know. I don't like front-loading my kids with it as well to say, oh, I've seen this, I've seen that. And then they they say they've seen the same thing because they're maybe sort of basing some of their nightmares on stuff I'm saying and things. But when they come up to me and say, oh, you know, I saw this, I've seen this, I had this weird dream, I think, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know, then um, uh, it's a a possibility, you know, it's more likely to have actually been something based in reality or whatever. But, uh, yeah, my wife... um, yeah, she's she's happy enough now, but I think she thought it was mm-hmm. a bit unfortunate at first. <laughs>
0: um, how long do these trip? I mean, when you come in contact with them, when they take you, how long do the uh,
1: voyages or trips take? Um, hours sometimes. I think elements I'll have missing time as well, so I don't understand some of the things that have transpired. I'll only remember points where I'll I'll um. So, for instance, um, I was taken, I was underground s- somewhere. Mm-hmm. I, I ended up deciding that it was when I came back to the surface that it was probably somewhere in the Victorian high country, or maybe it was even in Tasmania, just by the kinds of trees that were there and the kind of the mm-hmm. look of the world. But I was underground, and there was a, there were imagine of their tall whites dressed in their boa suits, these dark suits walked me up to a table of people of homo sapiens um and there was a group of people already there arguing with each other and they and i started arguing with a guy sitting at the head of the table because he was talking about the nature of one of the groups and i was saying oh you've got that wrong you're conflating two different races together or something i can't remember what it was i was having this argument with this guy and then the imagine got us all to stand up and to leave and as we were walking out mm-hmm. we started coming back out the ramp I was saying to the people that were there with me, the homo sapiens people, um, you can see them, can't you? You can see them as they're walking along with us. And they were getting quite afraid, um, <laughs> but they didn't want to look. Uh, and I just thought it was the most wonderful thing. My, my reaction is not fear anymore. As And we came out into a forest up out, out of the ground, into a forest where there was one of these tic-tac or RV type craft. Um, now, I'm not sure how long I'd been away, but I knew that I needed to go to the bathroom, okay? Mm-hmm. So I, what we got on we got on board, and this is the interesting thing about some of their craft as well. They're made out of, like, our... They're fabricated from um, elements from our own industry. So they do have craft in their fleet that have, like, grown organic vehicles, grown in zero-G that respond to your mm-hmm. thoughts and are more like their, you know people hear about this kind of thing a lot in UFO uh, law that their ships can be sentient or, or bioengineered in some way. Mm-hmm. There are some like that that they have, but most of them have, have been um, produced, used relying on our own industries. So um, and then they'll use our inferior, relatively inferior um, materials and, and technologies with their superior science to and use it to incredible effect so with these anti gravity craft and things like that so you've got this um what looked like a little white bus with windows Mm -hmm. along the side with a door that opened up on the side i got in and the seats are just bus seats just like we'd have the the pilot seats look like maybe they're out of our fighter jets Mm -hmm. but, but made out of segments not grown as a single piece um and And so i have got on there with the other uh people the homo sapiens and there was a homo sapiens guy there like an usher Mm -hmm. who was telling us to come on but the pilots were magina tall whites and then they i i was going to say to the guy i need to go to the bathroom can i just go behind the trees here or something and i went to say it and he was closing the door so then i was sitting there and i was thinking this is going to be uncomfortable if this journey is too long Mm -hmm. um and then i so i started re- i swapped seats and started reading like a, a flyer they had on the back of one of the seats and then boom i woke up in bed with a really full bladder like a considerable amount of time since that point had even passed but but that i had a memory loss for that element um so i, I think that journey would have been hours uh and by the time and, and this and it was sunrise when It was just starting to be sunrise when we were getting on the craft and then Mm -hmm. by the time i was home and 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 felt really uncomfortable and needed to go to the bathroom um the sun was up considerably further than that um but uh, and and it felt like the place seemed to be like somewhere up in the high country in the mountains in victoria the state where i live um or maybe even tasmania has similar uh flora and things like that but yeah for, for a long time sometimes
0: Uh, there's a story that I either read or heard from somebody about a a, a little boy who uh, somebody was driving in a pickup truck and found this little boy in the woods and when he took the little boy in you know to give him food and stuff the little boy told him that he had been taken by fairy what he called fairy folk underground and he had actually met other little children underground and they had uh, made, I don't know, I guess they were planning to do something sinister to him or something. But for some reason, they, they, they let him go. Okay. And that's when this guy found him wandering around. I mean, you, you, uh, I did some research on your stuff, too. And, you know, like, like you say, is that they live underground. They, they live in mountains. They, they live under the ocean. How, yeah. how do you know about the ocean part?
1: Uh, well, they told me well, they said okay. that they have. They said that they have a major habitation under Bass Strait, as mm-hmm. well, like in the in the continental shelf between okay. the state between Victoria and Tasmania, like the mainland of Australia and Tasmania. That they are in the continental shelf under that, and mm-hmm. just uh, around the world in general, uh, they have that kind of thing, and they, and they exit and enter the ocean even to get to other places. Um, that are on on dry land sometimes as well because they're much less likely to be interference or to be seen when they're doing that kind of thing but um, uh, and they can some of their ships like the more advanced of their ships mm-hmm. can do this uh, intangibility kind of thing which they can do in their suits as well so they can fly straight into the side of mountains as well without need for a door but some mm-hmm. of their craft aren't that sophisticated it depends on whether they've made them elsewhere out of materials elsewhere. Because the reason my book is called Children of Orion Finding the Crypto Terrestrials, you know, that might sound like a bit of a contradiction. Because if they're indigenous to this planet, what do they have to do with Orion, which is um, an a extrasolar constellation, of course? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, But it is that they are a kind of future lineage human. But that depends on what you mean by time travel. You could maybe even call them interdimensional. They're from another universe. Um, they have unraveling genomic structures. They need our DNA. They need to interbreed with us um, on occasion to reinforce their own dying genetics. Um, mm-hmm. And they have come back. They have come to the, they have come to a planet, a version of an ancient Earth that to them was archaic and ancient. So we are like ancient versions of them. And we are like free-range ancient humans to them, uh, mm-hmm. that they can take genes from and to. They have a lot of maladies and pathologies. Uh, their bodies take a long time to heal. Um, uh, they they can succumb to certain kinds of diseases um, and be quite sickly. Uh, they can live to advanced ages if they're lucky, um, to as long as seven to eight hundred years. But but because of their fragility in Mm -hmm. other ways um they're, they're they're very mortal and uh when they're not wearing their suits um they can be injured and killed very easily by one of us or by one of our animals like a dog um so they're particularly nervous around dogs domesticated dogs um but um yeah they they um sorry what was the question i'm rambling now um I've drifted away from uh, what you were asking, Sorry, Charlotte. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm just fascinated by it, by what <laughs> you're saying.
0: You're drawing me in so much, I'm just like, yeah, wow. Yeah.
1: You know I, I, I think I was just branching off for a second, then I forgot what the main point Yeah, was. Sorry, but it's all good.
0: It's all good. I have really a question yeah. in the chat room it says, what are these well what, what, what are these peoples called?
1: Uh what are they called? they they yeah. usually in ufology they're normally called tall whites okay uh, from charles hall's book right um but they're the same beings that uh kidnapped antonio villas boas in uh, brazil mm-hmm. in 1957 even though that those particular individuals weren't that tall they take a long time to grow so tall whites is a misnomer really because they could take a hundred years to even reach six foot they mm-hmm. can get to heights of like 10 foot by the time they get to seven or eight hundred years old But if you've got an individual, like the individuals that Antonio Villas-Boas came across, um, were only about five foot tall, Mm -hmm. um, they're probably going to be about 50 or 60 years old, like five, zero, six, zero, not not one, five or one, six. Um, So they take a long time to grow. So they were tall whites as well, barking, growling, um, but not very tall. They call themselves Madjana, and I made up a spelling for that to reflect what they've said to me they are called uh-huh. and i just spell it m-a-j-double-e-n-a but i suppose you could spell it any way you like because i just made that up um they have they they are the wangina it's the same word i believe what the wangina in australia the pictographs the ancient pictographs in the kimberley um of the fair of the white beings with huge eyes uh, with the weird noses and things like that um the, so wangina is the same thing that's what they call themselves before Charles Hall's books came out in the early 2000s uh I believe people used to call them Nordics more often in the old days that word sort of spread into the community and nowadays people make a distinction between tall whites and Nordics and say oh no tall whites are what Charles Hall knew Nordics are beings that look more like us look like Scandinavian supermodels or something like that, you know. Um, right. But, uh, but that wasn't the case earlier on, uh, where earlier on there wasn't the term tall whites. Mm-hmm. And there were only four races. One of them, the Magina, because they're tall with white or blonde hair and blue eyes, mm-hmm. they were known by the intelligence community as a slang way of referring to them, Nordics. And that that word's crept out into the community and now it's sure. sort of misused. So Nordics sure. and tall whites are originally the same thing um, sure. and they don't really look like Scandinavians I mean their facial structure is their facial structure is more like what we consider to be like a pop culture version of an elf but they don't have but their ears aren't very obvious their ears are less obvious than ours they have really small ears not completely not just holes there are there is structure but less than ours. Um, some of them have noses that are hardly there at all, really. Some of them have sort of more definition to their noses and a bit more of mm-hmm. a bridge and length, uh, eyes that are much larger than ours and are blue. But when the males get to about 400 years old, their, their iris starts to turn pink. And as they get older, the older male tall whites have pink eyes, not blue. Um, sometimes you'll see them with black eyes because they're medics. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and they have sort of, they have long pointed faces. And as they get older and older, they start off as kids with quite short heads. Mm -hmm. As their bodies get longer and elongate, uh, their faces do as well. And they end up as they, when they're older, they have really big, long pointed chins. Um, And uh, Peter Curry, the Australian experiencer from Sydney, he's been a lifelong experiencer, but the, the main case that most people think of when they think of Peter Curry is the 1992 encounter um where he woke up to a tall white woman sitting on him and this was part of the he was in their breeding program obviously he said she was about seven foot tall or so um and he said she had a chin like a witch that's how he described it he said like a pointed chin like a witch that's quite typical of them when they get old like that Mm -hmm. um and they have quite high cheekbones and there's a lot of room for variability like there's these people look at my channel you'll you'll see um, it's, it's not actually in my book, but it'll be in my second book. But if you go to my channel, which is just my name, Ryan Musgrave Evans, um, I've, I've made a video about it. But there's these three photos that have been floating about online for a little bit. Uh-huh. Not very long, I don't think. No one knows what they are, but they are mugina I'm tall whites. I'm very sure. I'm not 100% sure. But right. I'm 90 something percent sure. Um, uh, these three individuals, the photos, front on photos that look like They were taken a fair while ago, a bit Mm -hmm. of a grainy look to them or whatever, but um, wearing tight helmets um, and you can see, you know, it's their portraits sort of, you can see their neck and a bit of their shoulders maybe and their faces. Uh, And then also I've done a lot of sketches and drawings of them myself um, Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years. Um, And you can compare and look at what my drawings of them and these actual photos of them, Mm -hmm. are quite similar. Um, So they basically look like what you'd think... An elf would look like a real elf, but without the ears. Otherwise, very much like that.
0: Well, question in the chat room, are there reptilians that live underground?
1: Well, I don't think so. I don't. I personally don't believe in the reptilian stuff. In my opinion, what reptilians are is a, a misunderstanding of the different beings that do exist, the four beings that exist. Mm-hmm. Tall, tall whites when they're wearing their blacks their dark suits with, and wearing fake claws with goggles and glowing red eyes and things like that can sort of look like reptilians maybe but the other races they have scales and real claws all three of them all three of the other races kind of look like reptiles they're, they're future lineage humans they're not reptiles mm-hmm. they're mammals but um they have a kind of a scaly look. One of them has sort of like the look like the under, like the underbelly of a snake or a lizard, mm-hmm. sort of a pearly white look to one version of one group. Um, the group that um, Steve Boucher was abducted by, um, that, that's one kind of group. They, they sort of look a bit like Megamind. They've got really big heads. They've got pale skin, mm-hmm. sort of a little bit of um, a scaly look to them and a, a little bit of a claw-like thing. But then the other group that's got darker skin, skin, grey, heavier scales, longer claws, big black eyes, whereas the Steve Boucher aliens still have whites to their eyes, so the big black eyes. And then another one again that has dark brown skin that has three ridges on their head. They, these are the um, Virginia incident beings from Brazil from the 90s. Uh, the, the little brown creatures, claws, they kind of look like a monkey reptile. Mm-hmm. It's about three or four foot tall. So, that, so a lot of them look like reptiles, and I think that's where that's begun. Maybe that's, kind of, yeah. Um, and then people have gotten really carried away with it, you know, and then gone, oh, there's actual big dragon-like lizards and all that kind of stuff from right. Draco and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm skeptical about that kind of thing. Some people say, you know, I shouldn't throw rocks when I'm in a, you know, I'm in a glass house. So I'm making all these right weird claims, and then I'm suggesting other people are wrong, but I have to say it the way I see it. I mm-hmm. see most of I see most of the folklore of ufology as it is online, easily ninety percent of it or more as being fake. There are there aren't that many people out there that are genuine experiences that know that they're crypto terrestrial experiences. Sure, um, there are a lot of people who are experiences and don't know and may just think their house is haunted, uh, and they might, um, you know, people like uh, you know, Steve Boucher. Uh, Chris Bledsoe, Charles mm-hmm. Hall, um, uh, the guy that wrote Devil's Den, Terry Lovelace. Mm-hmm. Um, these people, they're definitely telling the truth. Peter Curie, Callie Kale from Australia. Um, and then there are a lot of other people that are telling the truth too. If I haven't, if I left someone off the list, that means doesn't necessarily mean I don't believe them. But just off the top of my head, um, those people I definitely believe in. But as soon as people start talking about, uh, and this makes me fairly unpopular in ufology, but whatever. Uh the as soon as I s- people start talking about Palladian tall Scandinavian supermodels from mm-hmm. the Pleiades or 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 big dragon lizard things from Draco and or um or mantis beings when they're actually talking about them as being really insects from some other planet that they know about and things mm-hmm. like that. I go, nah, that's if you're seeing mantis beings, you're most likely just seeing very old tall, medic, tall white. Mm -hmm. um so I am so I make all these claims myself fair enough Mm -hmm. but I'm actually very (laughs) closed-minded well I have one last question for you is um
0: why are they here are are they are they here to improve their their um species by by you know by mating with us because like you talk about the ones that have the blue eyes and again you go back to the, the the Scandinavian you know models so is that what they're doing? They're trying to improve themselves by, by, by you know, crossing with us?
1: Uh, yeah, but they, yeah that's the, that's the main reason they came back here to, an ancient, ver- to ancient versions mm-hmm. of themselves, to us. It's because um, there's a few different reasons why there's been natural mutations that were not um, positive. But for the most part, their genetic systems are corrupt be- through de- mm-hmm. deliberate genetic engineering. So uh, deliberate attempts to alter their own DNA and uh, lengthen their own lifespans. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the human genome is a holistic, systemic thing. Um, And if you decide that you are going to make certain changes to it in a conscious, deliberate way, um, there's going to be all these unforeseen side effects and symptoms you haven't banked on. And that's what has happened to them. They have lengthened their lifespans. They've made other tinkering alterations in their systems. And they've basically messed themselves up. They can't repair it themselves. They've been trying to. They've decided the only way they can do it is return to a time before humans started trying to influence their own DNA. So people might think, "Oh, that's that doesn't sound right," because you know we're on the cusp of understanding the human genome and 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 you know um, maybe you know uh, removing cancer, removing disease, mm-hmm. um, lengthening our lives, and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's the kind of thinking that got them into trouble in the first place. So we're all poised to make the very mistakes now that they already did. And they're del- they're desperately trying to fix their own maladies and pathologies. And they haven't worked out how to do it other than a constant replenishing of reintegration of our genes into theirs with each generation. Now, they're also a very proud people. They don't want to look like us. Right. They want certain elements of our genetic like uh, solidity and density to our muscles, um, and uh, resistance to certain diseases, um, and our healing rate, and these kinds of things. But they don't actually necessarily find us physically appealing, um, and they would prefer to remain looking as much like themselves as they can. So, so the idea of them producing half and half hybrids with us uh, mm-hmm. is not really a thing that happens, I don't think. Okay. You, you, okay. you do sometimes you do sometimes hear of. Um, uh you know darker skinned um, individuals associating with uh, what normally would be considered to be tall whites or something like that. like for instance, in the Peter Curry case, the woman that was sitting on him was a tall white more typically, but there mm-hmm. was another woman sitting on the bed next to him that he said had more of an Asian appearance, um, but still had her, her eyes were still too big and things like that. So maybe that kind of thing does still happen does happen where yeah. sometimes they do, they do sometimes take on some appearances, but for the most part, I think they don't. Um, so when they interbreed with us, like they did with Curry or with Attorney um, of Ellis Boas or with lots of people around the world, mm-hmm. um, they don't necessarily want the progeny to be 50 50. They're still going to tinker mm-hmm. with it a bit. So this is this they're sort of sitting on the fence. They want to be natural, they're trying to reproduce a natu- naturalness and use our genes, but at the same time, they're also trying to. Um, maintain a certain kind of older way that they, because they're proud, you know, so they still want to seem still to be themselves in some way. Because you'd think the best way for them to do things, you'd think, why don't they just teach some of us mm-hmm. their culture and language and histories and let themselves die out and just be completely replaced with right. a new generation of us instead of still trying to mix themselves into the mix. But but they don't want to do that. They, they want to retain something of themselves genetically sure. and all that. Makes sense. You also, real quick, you also said that they can manipulate our, our
0: thoughts. In that, like you were talking about their, their spacecraft, they can make them appear as like a helicopter to us.
1: Yeah, they Is can that do that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, they can. Uh, they can, and there's there's a few different cases where this has been described to, abductees or contactees by the tall whites the, in the Averley case, famous case from Britain from the seventies um a couple were taken on board drove into a mist and then mm-hmm. were taken on board a craft with tall fair beings with pink eyes because they're they were about six and a half foot tall which would make them about 400 years old so they should have pink eyes and they did have pink eyes instead of blue and they told them a fair few different things like um their future versions of us um but they also said um um sorry what was the question again i'm rambling again uh just to be
0: able to manipulate our minds, oh. you know, and, and and what what we see like like you Oh were, yes, 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 yes. So
1: yeah. they told sorry, sorry, they told him yeah. they expressed to him that kind of thing. They said uh-huh. the craft, um, they can make it appear um so that the world behind it is projected onto it to cloak it. Okay. Uh, you know, so you can so it looks like you can see through it or whatever you're seeing. But they can also make it look like anything, like a helicopter, like a plane, a jet, and reproduce the sounds even and things like that. Um, seems to be something that they can do but but they can also mess with your mind as well and, I think, mm-hmm. and make you think that you're seeing something mm-hmm. that it does not actually physically appear to be at all, which I think is the more common thing that they do when they're interacting with you one on one They're not actually morphing themselves if they mm-hmm. make themselves like the one that made my, made herself look like my wife sort of like a doppelganger of my wife right that was her um mesmerization and uh, an illusion born of just telepathy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
0: This was really it's cool. Fun. Really cool. <laughs> I, I would love to get you on again and talk to you more about this stuff because this is just fascinating, absolutely fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that sounds like a good idea, Charlotte. Yeah, that's okay. been good fun. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again for sure. All thanks right, so sounds
0: much. good. All right, how can people uh, – Get a hold of you or find you.
1: Um, I I pulled the pin recently on Facebook, uh, so I'm not on social media anymore. Now, now if people want to get a hold of me, um, uh, they can go to if you just go to my YouTube channel and you go Uh to about, and you can prove you're not a robot and and just find my email through business inquiries or whatever you know. And 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 I'd love to hear from people if they've got their own stories. They have something they think. They, I should know about or if they have questions for me, that'd be nice. No worries. And if you're interested in, in buying my book at anyone, it's published by Flying Disc Press, mm-hmm. uh, Children of Orion, Finding the Crypto-Terrestrials, and it's just on Amazon. Okay. Um, yeah, cool. Thanks so much. All
0: right. Well, I thank you so much, and we will definitely get together and see, see if we get another day to get you back on to talk even more about this stuff. Because you touched on a lot of stuff like with the Sierra sounds and all that, so I mean, yeah. We could go on for hours.
1: Yeah, cool. Cool. sounds like a plan, dude.
0: Okay, Ryan, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Have a good rest of the day, sir. Bye bye. All right. That was really cool. In fact, I'm definitely going to get him on again because there's just so much that I wanted to touch on tonight, but we, you know, we have our, our thing going on. Thank you guys for coming tonight. And, um, I really appreciate it. And, uh, if you can find it in your heart. You see my little ticker going down there, PayPal.me at California Haunts. Everything for this show is out of my pocket, and uh, I need help. I need help to keep this keep this thing on the air and keep bringing in guests like Ryan to uh, be on. You know to, to be on. So if you can find it in your heart to donate to PayPal.me at California Haunts, that'd be great. The other issue we have is we have 97 subscribers on YouTube, so we're like around four away from where we need to be on YouTube. over over at YouTube, and uh, once we get those extra subscribers and we maintain it for a while, they're going to let us have our own URL over there so you can go directly over there to see our videos and stuff, because right now, if you do a search, Google, whatever, you're not going to find our videos on YouTube. The best way to do that, to become a subscriber, is to go to the website at www.californiahuntsradio.com Click on one of the YouTube, you know, one of the videos there that will take you to YouTube, and then then you can subscribe. Because, like I said, we have a hundred or more subscribers, and we maintain it for like a couple weeks, and then they're going to allow us to have a dedicated URL to YouTube, much 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 less much like the one Ryan has. So you could go directly over there. You go to the website, and you're going to see um, all the archives that we've done for the last year and a half, two years, are over there as well like I said, if you could find it in your heart to donate to the show, that would be wonderful. Um, PayPal.me at California Haunts. Everything goes, all the money goes into the show. I don't use it for myself or anything like that. It's just to keep everything on the air because it does get expensive, you know, for, for mics and equipment and all this other stuff to maintain this. And I, I want to keep bringing these shows to you because I, I, I love doing it, you know, because we do vary, varying topics. It's not always paranormal. You know, like uh, this week, we've got a lady coming on to talk about to- toxic food. On Wednesday so it's going to be you know we have different topics on here and I I think you know you guys are interested in a lot of these things that I'm putting on. anyway again if you like the show share it with five people if if you didn't like the show share it with five of your enemies we're all equal opportunity here (laughs) and uh, yeah because we're trying to get the word out more and more and more about this show okay um again i thank you guys for coming and i'm going to go ahead and run ryan's information about his books you know where where you can get his book and everything and so here that is boom here we go there we go children of orion and like he said you can get that at amazon.com see shameless plug Again, I want to thank you guys for coming, and we will be back tomorrow at 6.30. Our guest is going, it's another we're going to have a different type of topic, um, steroids. Steroids and the harm that they can do to people, but mainly this gentleman that's going to be on, Max Stryker, who's going to be with us, um, used to work out new steroids, and he knew a doctor. I, I believe this is the way the story goes, is, is he knew a doctor that was providing steroids to, to famous celebrities. And he has a book out and in the book, he names names and he's gone to court over this and he's got proof. And he's, you know, people like Sylvester Stallone and people, and then people like that. He even mentions the rock and all this. And um, so he's going to be talking about steroids, who uses them and the kind of issues that people have that use them, you know, the, the kind of health issues that they cause and stuff like that. So that'll be tomorrow's show. Anyway, I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time and have a good evening.